0: And welcome to the Midlife Manifesto podcast. I'm Leslie Ellis and this is the show where through the stories of my wonderful friends we celebrate and commiserate, we share the ups and the downs and the challenges and opportunities that midlife brings. Today on the show we have the fabulous Jen Sylvester. Now Jen's here to talk about how, like within a few short years, she gave up a secure job in teaching to set up her own business. She lost a mum, uh, she came out to a dad, and she got married, and all this happened in midlife. <laughs> so, hi Jen. Hiya. Thanks hi. so much for coming in. And um, as normally when we start this podcast off, we start off
1: talking about how we met. So over to you right so I I can't remember when you left school to be honest was it about six, seven years ago or longer longer uh, eight 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 years years ago yeah Yeah. so we used to work at Thornton Grammar School together and um, you managed to escape a couple of years before me (laughs) (laughs) I ran for the doors in 2016 that was Jexit so Jexit I went to the Jexit party you did yeah yeah. so yeah we were more decisive with ours I got out straight away but yeah
0: yeah oh yeah you did didn't you (laughs) yeah well I um what I would just say to Jen what's quite funny about our friendship is when we worked together we were really friends we chatted in the corridor and had a few you know interactions mm. over some of the children but
1: we 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 didn't really we weren't really friends were we no but I think that happens sometimes because when you're working you just sort of pass on the corridors and you know you kind of interact like you say about kids and things but when you leave somewhere sometimes you realise that you've got other interests that are in common and yeah. You know, and you sort of reconnect in a different way. And obviously the power of Facebook kind of <laughs> allows you to do that, doesn't it? We kept in touch, really, I think, by seeing each other's news on Facebook. and We did. Yeah.
0: Uh, but also, and I think it's important to point out is, uh, Jen, whenever I, and as, I, as, as is my want sometimes, if I am in a bit of a situation or I need something nearly always the first person to speak out is you. So, for instance, when I was running my catering business, I were doing this event and I needed some glasses. I needed like 100 glasses. And the first person to step up was you. Oh, yeah. <laughs> With an offer of glasses from the local church.
1: Church, uh, Nick one from the church, didn't I, for the day? Yeah. <laughs> you did. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Another time, I was stuck in Otley. I'm a migraine sufferer and I was stuck in Otley and I was literally laid in the back of the car and I couldn't go anywhere. And uh, I put a note out on Facebook to said, just don't know what to do with myself. And again, Jen was the first person to speak out. You were going to rearrange your day to come over and help me. I don't know if you remember that. I do, yeah. slightly, yeah,
1: Yeah, vaguely,
0: yeah. Well, I remember it. And I, I just think, you know, somebody with that level of kindness for somebody who's not technically a close friend is just fab. And I think that's where our friendship is sort of, built from that really yeah
1: it? yeah yeah that's good yeah yeah it's nice <laughs> and jen has
0: recently joined the Queensbury
1: queens cycling club i have yeah i've not been out on a, an official ride yet i'm just getting back in the saddle after a few years out of it but yeah i i can um, see some some serious adventures coming up for yeah. us Jen.
0: <laughs> okay so as i mentioned jenny is to talk jen's here to talk about all the sort of things that happened to her in midlife so Jen tell me about just tell me about that time in your life
1: what happened and and how it happened. So um, I was teaching full-time in a in a school in Bradford Um, I was head of faculty and you know a very secure job Um, the school was going through quite a lot of changes at the time and what with sort of government policy and um, Michael Gove (laughs) there were um, issues and, and things at school that I wasn't particularly enjoying and I didn't like what was happening in education and um, I just decided well I'd lost my mum in 2015 um, who'd been ill for a lot of years eight years she'd had a massive stroke um, and was paralysed and couldn't speak for the last eight years of her life so that was a massive burden and um, we lost her in 2015 and um, I just reevaluated my life And Mm. I just thought, I don't want to get to a situation like my mum did, where relatively young, you know, she didn't enjoy any retirement at all. And I just saw myself in a school till I was 67 or 68, you know. So um, one particular afternoon, after a particularly (laughs) bad um, afternoon with really naughty kids, difficult kids and, and just a huge workload. On a whim I just went and handed in my notice. Did, was, did it happen like that? Yeah, it was just like that, yeah. It was a complete yeah, I phoned my partner at the time and um who is still my partner, but she was just my partner at the time. <laughs> and now we're married. Um and I just said, oh, I handed in my notice <laughs> So, so you like, didn't ring it before you handed in No, your I notice. just did it, yeah. Just um What did she say? She said, Oh right, okay, good, okay, well we'll talk about that when you get home then. So <laughs> oh. Yeah, I mean she was really supportive, obviously, but um it was a bit of a shock. We did have a bit of a plan that I'd probably leave in the next two or three years and do something different, but yeah, I sort of um, pushed that forward a little bit in quite an alarming way. So yeah, um, so I just handed in my notice. Didn't have a clue what I was going to do, um, and then I had, that was in March um, before the summer. Um, and so then did you finish
0: in the summer. Yeah, I finished.
1: Yeah. yeah, so I finished in July two thousand and sixteen, um, and we were getting married in. May as well in 2016, so um, yeah, it was um, it was quite a and Fiona got um, made redundant as well at the time. So <sighs> did yeah. you know when
0: you handed Did you notice it? Or no, that, happen that after? happened after. So. Oh my goodness! Right. So okay. it was
1: a little bit, yeah, kind of how we're going to pay for this wedding <laughs> that Scary. we've got. On band, oh
0: my yeah. goodness! <laughs> yeah. I but, think it's interesting though, Jen, that that you you chose to do that at the time of life that you did. I think sometimes we make we make life decisions in after some sort of traumatic event or mm. it makes us like you say reevaluate. I'm finding a lot mm. of my friends are doing the same you know you get to this age in life and you can see the trajectory the way it might go mm. and that sort of it's just something that like pushes you off your off track doesn't mm. it and thankfully in a lot mm. of cases
1: yeah and I think um, I mean I've I've always not been too much of a risk taker and I always thought teaching was really secure and I'd be there for life it never occurred to me that I wouldn't be to be honest and Mm. um, it you know something just went on that day in my head you know even though I had been kind of toying with the idea of leaving teaching at some point that afternoon I I went and did it and I didn't I just didn't feel anything you know I didn't feel panic I didn't feel anything I just thought that's Empowered it. I've maybe. done it, you know, I've done it and what will be will be. And I didn't feel particularly scared about what would happen in September when the money stopped and I didn't have anything to do, you know. Mm. So yeah, and then I started I started thinking about things I could do and I came up with some all sorts of weird and wonderful um businesses that I was gonna set up. <laughs> yeah, I think Fiona thought I'd lost my senses. But <laughs> in the end I decided that um I should use the skills that I've got. Um to do something rather than try and retrain or find something else that I don't know anything about so I, I decided to set up a tuition um, centre um, which I've done in my village in Farsley in Leeds and um, it's four years in now and uh, yeah it's doing quite well now but at the beginning it was really slow and it was hard but yeah and it is hard work it's a different kind of hard work to teaching in a school, but. Yeah, I love it. I think it's the best thing I did. Now, really, (laughs) yeah, absolutely, yeah.
0: You know. That Again, that's a common thing. Nearly everybody who makes their massive sort of leaps of faith mm. says, in hindsight, it's the best thing they ever did. Mm. So that's great. And it is doing really well, isn't it? Jen Gen runs a... It's, it's called the
1: Learning Curve, isn't it, yeah. in Farsley? So what, what do you do at the Learning Curve? So we do tuition from primary through through to A-level um, and we do some adult language classes as well, French, German, Spanish, Italian. But mainly, um, the primary school kids, it's all maths and English, um, you sats. know, yeah, SATs and just kids, that are, uh, you know, are a bit behind and need a bit of extra support. And sometimes it's a confidence thing, just that extra little bit of something that they don't get in a classroom situation at school. And then um, right through key stage three, and then obviously GCSE and A level. So I do a lot of the teaching, um, mostly primary. Um, and some languages, and then I have a, a team of um, GCSE and A level specialists in maths, English, history, science, right? Um, all sorts, really. Whatever people ask for, to be honest. If I can source a tutor for them, then I will. Yeah.
0: Right. So where so, do you find your
1: Where do you find your teachers from? Um, to be honest most of them have been personal recommendations they've just sort of fallen into my lap somehow i've done a bit of kind of when i've needed um people i've i've done a bit of recruitment drives and that kind of thing but to be honest that that the percentage of teachers who've come my way the, the best ones are always people that i i've got from my circle or a wider circle mm. um because they've been recommended and they are people that i've worked with so couple that have taken early retirement I've grabbed them yeah. <laughs> like literally as they were walking out the door um, you know um, I've been waiting for you to retire come on come on, work here <laughs> and um, so I've got a few like that um, uh, yeah So, but it's usually just you know a friend of a friend or someone from my teaching network in, in the wider network Right, um, so yeah. So, yeah. so basic it just shows how important
0: like networking is in any industry, mm-hmm. really.
1: If I can look a parent in the eye and say, I know that I have a really good tutor for your child if it's somebody I know or somebody that's been recommended by somebody that I trust then um you know, and so far we've I've not had many um shall we say yeah Duff's Duff's <laughs> yeah. We'll, we'll leave that there yeah yeah leave that one there
0: <laughs> okay so so that's work so work actually that, that's been a really positive change mm. for you hasn't it um, so you 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 briefly mentioned that your mum had been ill for a long long time mm. and it was it was really that, that 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 set the ball rolling for the change
1: yeah I mean my mum had had a stroke at the age of 65 um, which was a devastating stroke Um she was completely paralyzed on one side and um, she did uh, gradually after quite a lot of um, rehab she did manage for about a year two years managed to sort of hobble around on a on a frame with help from somebody but um, she was quite susceptible to um, infections right for, for whatever reason you know not being able to swallow very well she would aspirate things into her lungs and um, water infections and things so she'd often end up in hospital and every time she ended up in hospital her mobility just went down a little bit each time and so really for the last probably five years four to five years she was um well no for the last yeah no she was sort of Bed uh, chair bound, so she was in a wheelchair and could be transported into a chair at home. Um, but the last two years, she was bed bound. So yeah, it was quite hard because they, um, my parents were down in Suffolk. So yeah. It and was a up bit. Yeah. Up, yeah. So it was a. It was lots of driving down, up and down. It's not a good journey either. The A17, if you've been on the I S- it, I have. you get stuck behind farm vehicles and it it's just a really slow. Uh, and you know on the Friday night after work or very early on the Saturday morning I I did spend probably quite a lot of time asleep at the wheel but we we'll probably won't mention that <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah, we'll yeah. Move on. <laughs> lots of coffee <laughs> yeah. yeah so
0: tell us about Fiona because Fiona came into the picture was was that um while your mum was ill or
1: yeah 10 years ago I met Fiona in um just before my 40th birthday um. Um. We're both the same age. She. She will say that she is younger than me, but only by ten months. So. <laughs> <laughs> and um. Yeah, we met, and um. Yeah, we. I mean, I think I knew pretty much straight away that this was going to be a long-term relationship. I'd had quite a lot of um disastrous <laughs> relationships, and some good, some bad. But yeah, I knew that this was something that was going to last really and uh, and did Fiona yeah.
0: did Fiona have the same yeah yeah I mm. think so
1: yeah, yeah. I,
0: w- I was like that with Johnny yeah. I was 20 far too bloody yeah. young but I knew more or less straight away I think
1: she probably just thought she's a keeper you know so we... <laughs> <laughs> but you know we both felt the same so yeah it's good brilliant and um I suppose we've got to mention the choir yeah, I um after my I I'd, I'd always sung in choirs. Um, I sung in the school staff choir when I worked in education, and but I'd also been member a member of community choirs for years and years and years. Um, but then in those years when my mum was ill and I was doing all that travelling backwards and forwards and emergency journeys, often when she'd sort of got you know very poorly, um, I um I gave up being in a choir I just couldn't commit to it mm. um you know it was just too much and so I you know I was sitting in the tent in Northumberland in the summer after she'd passed away and just thinking oh, I really miss singing so I put something on our local Facebook page saying does anyone want to form a choir in Farsley and I got loads of response and um we had a little meeting that the, the vicar of the local church said we could use the church to practice in yeah in St John's and um I think in the middle of August, we had a, I had a meeting and about 11 people turned up, which was great. And But they all looked at me and Fiona said to me the night before, what are you going to do with your choir then? And I said, well, it's not my choir. What uh-huh. are you talking about? <laughs> so I stayed up all night trying to find a song that I could try and teach. I'd never done anything like that before. I'd only sung, you know, I'd never done arrangements or taught people how to sing parts so i wondered whether you had on no not at all it was a learning curve yeah i bet because i sing Mm. and i
0: sing and you know i sing harmonies but Mm. i have no idea how to to put an arrangement together for a choir no
1: that i mean that didn't happen straight away it was just to begin with it was using other people's arrangements and teaching the songs but as we developed i think because you, when you buy an arrangement, you you know your singers, and it's it sometimes an arrangement you just know they're not going to be able to do it, or it's not right for the range of the choir. Yeah, you know, we had very few men; it's really hard to get men to sing. Right. Um, we only had one or two men to begin with, and um, so you know if it was a, a an arrangement that was heavily reliant on a man's part, or you know a tenor or a bass part, although we do have quite a lot of women that sing tenor as well. Dear. Yeah. 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 Um, you know i started to learn how to arrange music myself so that i could do arrangements that were specifically for the choir um so yeah that was that was um in the summer of 2015 so we're five years old this year wow um and there's a about thirty six to forty regular members now from eleven. And, Amazing. And we do all sorts of we do two concerts a year one at Christmas one in the summer. and Other events we sing at Farsley Festival and other places and we do quite a lot of community singing where we go into care homes or you know the memory cafe and things like that and mm. yeah we and we raise loads of money for charity at our concerts so the one in the summer last year. Um, Oh, Sorry, Christmas just gone. We raised £1,200. So, Oh, my goodness. Yeah, so really proud of that.
0: It's fantastic. I love choirs. What does
1: it feel like when you're stood in front of that sort of wall of sound? Uh, it, I can't, other than singing myself, I can't think of a better place to be. It's just when you see it all coming together and and everyone works so hard every week when we practice and they and they really do work hard when there's a concert you know they pull it out of the bag and just that when all the harmonies are right and you see the joy on people's faces from singing yeah and then you know that the people behind you are really enjoying it as well and it just it's just i can't you can't beat it really other than being on a bike <laughs> <laughs> my two favorite things singing in harmonies and cycling
0: we need to talk about your dad because um I'm interested in sort of his views on homosexuality and how that affected
1: you Mm. so tell tell us a little bit about about your dad yeah my dad so my dad um is a cross between Alf Garnett if you can remember him and um Del Boy (laughs) so is it you know from london london born and bred um very very kind of traditional ideals and values and views um i'd say you know fairly right wing politics mm-hmm. ukip
0: i know you yeah. you, you, you do, i i think of him as ukip dad because yeah. that's how you describe it yeah
1: he he was a ukip um he was an elected ukip councillor in in suffolk so yeah um he he's always been quite um extreme with his views on homosexuality when I was growing up I mean I think in my teenage years I was I was I was I don't know really I don't I didn't have any concrete thoughts that I was gay but I did I mean I had all you i had crushes on Cagney Cagney Lacey you know I, I, was mass- <laughs> I think I'm straight and even yeah, I had a crush well, on Cagney everyone has to be fair yeah um and i and i played a lot of tennis when i was younger so i you know all all the female tennis players you know there was a bit of a fascination with what was going on with Nafratilova at the time because she was coming out and yeah, defecting yeah. and you know and i sort of had a you know a healthy interest in all of that and and i was a bit of a tomboy i played football and in those days girls didn't play football i mean that it's really why girls do play football now it's yeah, a massive yeah. thing but yeah. if you did then you were the um you were you were not the norm it wasn't normal um and I played football, um, with the boys at school, you know, mm-hmm. and I loved football and I and you know, I think people just thought I was a tomboy, you know. But I used to hear things from my dad in the eighties, you know, um when AIDS was um first um um coming out, he would, you know, express quite violent views about um gay people you know visiting gay bars and doing something about it, that kind of thing and right. and and you know it was a sickness and that kind of <laughs> and I, yeah. so i so I think any any kind of feelings that I did have that might have suggested that I was gay, I kind of suppressed them really understandably yeah and didn't didn't do anything about it, you know, and you know that uh, my relationship with my dad's never been particularly easy, um we don't you know and so even without that. I didn't feel I could talk to him about emotional things or show any kind of emotion. It wasn't done in our family. You know, you, you just got on with it, stiff upper lip. And so it wasn't something that I felt that I could address. And I wasn't really sure myself anyway until my 20s. So, Did you yeah. talk to your
0: mum? Could you, could you talk to no,
1: i No, no. No, in lots of ways, my mum kind of did what my dad told her yeah I I, this is (laughs) all resonating a lot of this is resonating with me yeah Mm. a lot of her views you know I don't think if she if she didn't have those views she wasn't I don't think she felt she could express them in front of my dad yeah yeah so yeah so I didn't I couldn't really talk to anyone um in the family you know Mm. it was um yeah. Although they all tell me now they knew. <laughs> it was so obvious. Yeah. Oh yeah, we all know. You're just Jen though, aren't you? You know, we don't care. We've <laughs> never cared, you know. They they knew. Yeah. That's
0: interesting. I yeah. went to school with a friend and um I just assumed that she was gay. I never mm. asked, but I just assumed. And then she got married to a mm. man when she was mm. eighteen. And uh, years after, we became friends on Facebook and I saw that she was with a woman. Mm.
1: Yeah, I think, I mean, there's a lot of people that have done that where they've, they've just not realised until they're older. But I, I've got a lot of friends who are a bit older than me, maybe 10, 15 years older, that they all got married in those days because that's what you did Mm. and in lots of ways they've paved the way for for our generation it's much easier for us you know it's so much more acceptable and they did all the hard work you know they did get married had children and then had to come out later but i think i mean i did feel like i i it was expected i would get married and i've always felt like that and i've always felt in lots of ways that my dad has sort of valued my brother's lifestyle choices more because he's got kids and he got married and i think um my dad never questioned me though and i didn't ever get married um to a man um but i think he just thought i was following the career route you know and right and then a a bit later just you know in the last few years I've put on some weight and he basically said a few years ago at my cousin's wedding that nobody would have me because I'm too fat so, <gasps> so, oh. so we've got <laughs> sizist homophobic <laughs> oh my goodness yeah. so, oh, trying to navigate that
0: gen as a young woman must have been tough yeah you. so
1: I didn't do anything about it and I I mean I I came out to myself and you know ostensibly to other people to my friends when I was about 24 um, um, I wasn't out at school where I worked I've, I've worked in two schools in my career but I, I think probably I was I still kind of ha- had those views of my dad in in the background in a in little voice in my head and I used to do you know coach and help coach teams like netball and tennis in school and, and a, a girls football team as well and I, th- I suppose I thought you know well, I know what we used to say about female PE teachers when I was at school. <laughs> they were all lesbians, weren't they? Do you know what I mean? It didn't matter. They were. And and I used to think, you know, we used to say, well, she'll be looking at us in the changing rooms. And, and I suppose I felt that... I, I, I had those views somehow in the background in my head. So uh, I, and just in a teaching environment, I didn't feel it was appropriate to, to be out really. And then gradually over the years, all my colleagues and friends, it just, it was just a, a natural process. They just got to know. So I am I was out, you know, except to my parents. And gradually I came out to family members, other family members, my, my dad's siblings and my German family, because my mum was German. And um, they were all, well, you know, we've always known, but... It's a funny thing because having spent, you know, my 20s and 30s with lots of gay friends, and they all had similar stories or different stories but different coming out routes and Mm. yeah and they would say oh you know your dad might surprise you you know I thought my dad would be like that or my mum but when I told them they were fine you know he'll surprise you but my family was saying don't tell your dad (laughs) so and I knew that he wouldn't surprise me then and and I you know Mm. I, I just couldn't do it and so I lived this really weird double life where I had my parents down in Suffolk and my life in Leeds and they used to come up and visit but you know never the twain should meet I mean I you know I was I was so worried about them finding out that um I used to I've been to Lesvos a few times on holiday and I told them I was in Kefalonia because I didn't want to <laughs> put Lesbos together and come up with a lesbian you know so and then, but that um I remember um one time when I was in Kefalonia, <laughs> there was an earthquake while I was there. Or, well, well, I was actually in Lesbos, and when I came home, my parents asked me how it had, you know, affected the holiday, the, the earthquake and everything. Did so you? Like, oh, yeah, yeah, that, yeah. No, That's it was all right me. where yeah. we were. <laughs> yeah, yeah there was a bit of, you know, a bit of weird stuff, but no, it was fine, you know. <laughs> so, yeah, and, and one of my friends, actually, as a joke, she was in Catalonia once, so... She sent me a postcard <laughs> <Send you laughs> from <Kevlenia>. <laughs> <laughs> saying, "Oh, you know, we we were at the same place that you went to last year. It's lovely, <laughs> and that <laughs> lived on my mantelpiece. You know, so my mum and dad could see it. <laughs> yes. I mean, it, it sounds ridiculous, doesn't it? I mean, I, it, but it it was a sort of a double life, really. Um, it 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 sounds.
0: No, I don't think it does sound ridiculous. I think, you know, given given <clears throat> the views of your father, I mm-hmm. can completely understand why you were. You must have lived with kind of that fear hanging over you that they might just somehow find yeah.
1: out. I mean, yeah, I did, and I and I like weird things. Like, um, I mean, I, I'm not a great. I don't really go to lots of pride things. I have been to pride in Leeds, and but you know, I've been to events that you know would suggest that you were gay. You know, maybe like going to see Katie Lang. That's a fairly big. Yeah, giveaway. Like it. Although uh, I absolutely love. Katie yeah, Lang. Uh, yeah, but I've I've kind of. Had these weird? Well, you know, I'm sitting here um, walking in pride. And what if there was a bomb or something? They'd know, wouldn't they? They'd. Know. And that was my worst fear was that I'd be out to my parents. Not that I would have been in I've a been bomb. Damaged you know. <laughs> you know, I was. <laughs> it, do you know? It's so. It's mm. such a weird place to be in your head, because it was such a massive fear because of how he was really, and uh, what that would mean. You mm. know. So yeah, I I chose not to be out. And all the while I didn't need to be, I I didn't tell them, so Right. Yeah. Goodness. So you um you mentioned something about when you were on the Norfolk Broads. So I it, it was about twenty years ago, so I was actually in my thirties. My brother had just got married, so that was a um quite you know, he'd scored lots of brownie points at that stage, Indeed. you know. Um and we'd just been to his wedding in in the June and and I'd gone on a um a holiday on the Norfolk Broads with my mum and dad and my aunt and uncle and another aunt. I don't know what I was thinking quite, but <laughs> you know, there were times when um, we were pushing that boat away from the side that, you know, I'd, I almost hoped that my dad in. would fall in. But, <laughs> <laughs> um, but, yeah, it was quite, you know, being cooped up in a in a small space like that. Um, and um, my aunt, I'd come out to my aunt. I'd, I'd spoken to her and she she was lovely is that uh, your dad's sister? yeah my dad's sister yeah so from the same yeah. you know and she's absolutely fine and um, we were in a pub having lunch and we were talking about my brother's wedding and um, one of my cousins in Germany's gay and so my dad's made reference to, well, you know Dominic No, he's a shirtlifter you know he's a shirtlifter you know? shirt mm. and was quite derogatory and sort of saying that he'd he'd had words with Dominic's mum which is my mum's sister you know I, I don't know what why he felt he had the right to do that so, but he yeah, kind of have an opinion on everything. yeah he, he you know he he told her what he thought um and he said um I think that's the worst thing you could ever find out as a parent about your child is that they're gay and um I you know I just sort of sunk into my scampi oh my God. <laughs> and my auntie Mary I could feel her sort of looking at me because obviously she knew and she just you know she just said No, Reg, I don't think so. I think, wouldn't it be far worse to find out that your child was terminally ill or was disabled or something like that? And his answer was that that wasn't a choice, um, but you choose to be gay. um, And, you know, it's a lifestyle choice and and you're sick, basically. um, Mm. So that was quite a hard thing to sit and listen to. But I also felt good on Auntie Mary because I always felt like she had my back
0: can just imagine it being like you know one of those black comedies like fleabag mm. where they're all sat around having this conversation on i can just imagine you your face and your auntie's face and yeah. just i
1: just it's just one of those kind of weird yeah i, I mean funny, i could cite hundreds dark... of those you know because <laughs> yeah. i mean there's been loads and loads of times when i've been sitting watching tv and you know somebody's there's a gay storyline going on, and in EastEnders or Corrie, whatever they were watching. It, like when I've been with my parents, and mm. or you know, um, yeah, just I mean, I, all through my you know, Boy George, all of that. You know, he could oh, stand yeah. Boy George, but thought Danny LaRue was great. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, what's that all about? <laughs> what's the difference, really? You know, and um, so yeah, loads. Of, I've had loads of situations where I've sort of been sat squirming in my seat, and mm. you know, and wondering what was you know
0: coming next yeah blimey so um you kind of cleverly engineered a situation didn't you when uh where you got fiona and your dad to meet in this kind of
1: yeah i've been with fiona um five years when my mum died and um my mum and dad um used to go over to france quite a lot and shop you know at the supermarket ocean in calais to bring well basically a booze cruise really but there and back in a day which for a ukip um politician is a bit weird to go to france to buy your wine yeah and i have to point out the irony he married a german yeah too yeah yeah Yeah, but so did farage so there you go well yeah yeah, there you go um so he used to do that quite a lot and when my mum was poorly um i used to Go down to Suffolk and look after Mum, while he went and did his his um, little. He calls it a smuggling trip, um, and which is also ironic because then it wasn't smuggling because you could do it, but in the future it may well be smuggling. Because do you think he'll still do it? I don't know. It depends. If he's allowed one bottle, he's not gonna one liter. He's not going to, is he? <laughs> no. um, so he used to go off on his own, and um, he used to sort of say, "Oh, it'd be much better if I had someone to go with," you know, and. Uh, And um, I told him, well, my brother would, that would be great because he drives past the M25 and my brother lives not far from the M25 on the way to Dover. And oh, now I could do with somebody nearer, really, you know, like you. And I thought, well, I'm in Leeds, Dad. (laughs) How does that work? And he wanted me, what he meant by nearer was I would drive to his and be with him. I'd be nearer, yeah. Yeah, then I'd be nearer, wouldn't I? You know, if I drove 200 miles from Leeds to his house. So, I knew, we i knew that i had to um clear my mum's clothes out cuz uh, she we we got a lot of stuff at at my dad's that that was still there of my mum's and so i said to my dad that my friend Fiona would go with him to France and i'd spend the day you know sorting through mum's clothes cuz i needed to do that on my own to be honest mm. and so that's what we did so Fiona went on the, um um on the journey to France with my dad and i stayed at home yeah so um he got to know Fiona on on that journey, obviously, and thought she was great. You know, they both liked wine and had loads to talk about. And yeah, um, it I, I, it was a bit squirmy for her as well, though, because I think it was a day that I it was either America or Ireland um made um, same-sex marriage legal. I I can't remember, but you know this was going on in the radio. And my dad was like, "What do you think of that?" Then you know, so <laughs> well, Fiona had to deal with that. So, so he knew Fiona. He'd met Fiona, and he'd also um met her a couple of times in in the last year of Mum's life, really, because um she my dad was ill for a t- time in there. Um, Fiona helped me care for Mum, so mm. he knew that I had a friend called Fiona, and he knew. That he'd met her and he really liked her, so um, I think that helped us out further on down the line. To be honest, so I suppose we
0: need to co- kind of um, talk about you, you, and Fiona were getting married.
1: Yeah, your Dad didn't know. No, Dad, Dad didn't know, and we were getting married in May two thousand and sixteen, and so that then became my deadline for coming out to him because up until then it'd always been. I live in Leeds. You live in Suffolk. Never the twain shall meet. Mm-hmm. But obviously, um, we were gonna invite lots of family, and we were gonna invite him. And we had to, I, you know, I had to come out to him basically. Mm-hmm. So I asked my auntie Mary to just sort of t- put a toe into the water and just see you know, what, how things were with dad kind of thing. And did he have any kind of suspicions or Mm. thoughts, you know? And, um, she, I think had one few too many gins and just told him I was getting married. So that was, (laughs) (laughs) that was like ripping off the plaster, you know? Maybe that's the way it needed to happen. (laughs) Yeah, maybe it did. Yeah. So, yeah. So, um, my dad just phoned me up and said, what's this I hear about you getting married to a woman kind of thing. And, um, yeah that was it so he I told him it was Fiona um, who he really liked I think that helped I think because um, I think my dad probably had this view that lesbians all sort of wore DMs and um, had shaved heads and lots of piercings and tattoos and were really kind of you know, for want of a better word, butch. Yeah. That's what yeah. he would say. Oh she's a bit butch. Yeah. And I've heard him say that many times. And and he doesn't mean butch as in not femme, he means that's what lesbians are, they're butch, you know. Mm-hmm. And I think because Fiona isn't like that at all, you you know, you wouldn't look at Fiona and think she was gay in any way, shape or form and and um and a lot of women are like that. It that's just how it is. Yeah, you know, yeah. everyone comes in all sorts of shapes and sizes. And I think you know, because she was the acceptable face of lesbianism. <laughs> um, he, you know, he he liked her. So that was one good thing in our favour. And he just sort of said, well, I've always known what you are. <laughs> did he? Yeah. Um, deep down, but I can't accept you getting married. Um, so he he disowned me, basically. He, well, did not disowned me, he just said, if you get married, that will be it. Um, so there was a threat that if I got married um that he would disown me. Um and I and I s I think up I hadn't told him up till then because there was a fear that with my mum so poorly he was like the gatekeeper to my mum and he wouldn't let me see my mum. But my mum was gone now, so there, there was this kind of shall I just, you know, stick to my guns and say, No, I'm getting married mm. and you'll have to disown me then um so we had about four weeks of not speaking in the conversation on the phone that night i did say we'd love to have you for christmas i'm gonna cook a goose It's <laughs> a bit traditional in germany is goose and right. we i wouldn't cook it just for us two because they're too big but i thought if my dad comes i'll cook a goose and mum used to do goose and that so i thought you know yeah that might um soften the blow <laughs> a little bit but he um he just said if you get married I, that's it that will be it um so we had about three or four weeks where we didn't speak at all. Um, there was no contact, and um, I I phoned him and I and we we talked Fiona and I and we had decided that we would change our marriage booking to a civil partnership. We'd sent out invitations and f- for our friends and family they didn't care. They were just coming to a big celebration of our of our. yeah yeah. commitment to each other it Mm. didn't really matter what was on a piece of paper um but it really mattered to my dad And, and Fiona just said you know your relationship with your dad is something that's there for life and you know does it matter what we actually do on the day and some people might think that we sort of pandered to him and backed down by doing that but I I just you know i didn't want to not have anything to do with my dad for the rest of my life you know completely understand so i told him you know we, if we did a civil partnership how would that be and he said well that's going in the right direction so that's what we did we we had a civil partnership so you almost both
0: took a took you both took a step towards each other in yeah, that sort of compromise, yeah. didn't you?
1: Yeah, he he didn't come. He wouldn't he ref- he wouldn't come. Mm. Um, we had a civil partnership in the May, um, and then in the October we just went with our best friends as witnesses, and we upgraded to a marriage. Although um, the on the day we, we were sitting in the waiting room, and the registrar came in and asked our friends to go with him and nearly married them by mistake <laughs> thought, so that was a bit that's what we're now called the wives but um but then dad um yeah he refused to come and all my family came and fiona's family lots came from germany so and we had our big day and our lovely time in may and yeah. then we just made it official in october yeah but he he wouldn't he refused to come so this was our this was the year after well you know it was the october when i'd come out to him yeah Or um and um so yeah i he saw that we were making a step towards him but, i mean his concerns were really he one of the things he said was what if you want to have children and he thought that his bloodline somehow would be sullied by, by you know us having children and i said dad i'm 45 <laughs> i work full-time in a school and i've got two dogs <laughs> you know i'm <laughs> that far away from menopause i'm not gonna have children i think he thought we might adopt but you know again that's not going to affect anybody's bloodline if you adopt is Mm. it Mm. Um, but yeah it was it it, i don't know he just he found it really really difficult but then he rang me up um a bit later on and he just said um is that offer of the goose at christmas still on the table sort of thing and basically came for christmas and we had an amazing christmas with him he was like a different man you know he's that i've got a picture of him sitting on christmas day peeling carrots you know and and doing the sprouts and things so which are not things he's and we had a brilliant time with him he was really good fun and you know and he and i think it did really help that he already knew fiona and really liked her. i think he likes her better than me to be honest but
0: <laughs> i can relate so in much, fact i, know I like johnny better than me <laughs> yeah
1: so we had a really lovely christmas but he still wouldn't come to the wedding um in mm. the, the following summer um but yeah he he he's just fine now you know mm. so in the end he has surprised me
0: yeah he didn't yeah. at the time
1: because at the time it was i guess he
0: needed time to obviously given his extreme views he needed mm. time to move towards towards the idea didn't he mm. it? It, it will have been a, a shock mm. to him i suppose but it's worked out quite well yeah, yeah
1: and it's the word marriage as well because I think he is fine with our relationship he just doesn't like to think of us as being married but because right. he says that that's you know for a man and a woman but we don't hide our wedding photos anymore I used to hide them when he came to visit but I just leave them up now so um yeah and I, fantastic so it has come on quite a long way yeah when
0: we first talked about you doing this podcast Uh, you were a little bit reticent about talking about this and one of the things you said to me was that you felt a bit
1: like you'd let the um, side down almost. Yeah I think because everyone I know who's gay has, has a coming out story and so many people have risked things and been really brave and done it i mean i in the end my hand was forced my auntie mary did it for me i mean i was gonna do it but yeah. you know i i all those years where i lived a lie really um to my parents not not to everybody but to them and um you know I I'd, I'd seen people do the brave thing and and I just felt like I, I'd wimped out, really. And uh, but I just knew how extreme he was, and mm. it it wasn't something I felt I could face, really. And I didn't think I was strong enough to do that. And I've got so many people that I look up to who've had, who've 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 been through that same process, and have been so much braver than I have, you know. And I just felt ashamed, really, of that. So. think i think everybody's situation is different and clearly
0: not everybody has a dad like with such extreme views yeah you know i can imagine you know uh some old school kind of parents being a little bit on the disappointed side but i mean your dad's views were extreme i totally understand why that would happen and as it turns out yeah we do have
1: your own coming out story and actually it's probably the best story ever (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah he, yeah he and he has he has he has come round, and he he's he's lovely with Fiona he's lovely with us both and he treats us the same as he does my brother now which for many years I always felt like I got treated differently because yeah. of my lifestyle choices that um you know that my brother had a family and that was always you know much more important than say my dogs or <laughs> you know I know yeah. dogs aren't children but I still had to sort my dogs out to go and look after mum and things and I had things that I had to do but it was seen as well you can do it you know I I think at one point I think my dad sort of expected that I would give up work and go and live down there and full-time care for my mum and him but you know he did actually voice that a few times and did he yeah and
0: I I think I think from what you're saying actually your relationship with your dad has almost improved since you and Fiona yeah. got together, it's almost as if he, you know, you've said he sees you in a more equal light now, mm. so actually, surprisingly, it's improved that relationship. Yeah,
1: no, we do have a much better relationship now. Um, it's still a difficult relationship, Not nothing to do with my sexuality, but just because of who we both are yeah, our views and the way we we just, you know, we clash really yeah. and... You know, because his views on homosexuality, he he's got the same sort of views in other areas, should we say? And we've had yeah. some fairly heated discussions about Brexit and all of those things. And and he he is quite he's not an easy man, particularly mm. um to be around. And um, but to to everyone outside of the family, he's he's lovely. He's You know, everyone just thinks he's a really great guy, and he is a really great guy. He's got a massive, generous spirit, and he's really kind to people but he you know he is quite difficult to have as a father Mm. you know um, because of his views on so many different things and the way he has treated us really growing up yeah Mm. so I know it was a bit nerve-wracking sharing this story and I'm so so
0: glad that you did I imagine that there are people listening to this who you know might be in that situation where they're too afraid to come out Mm. and I mean it might help them it just might mm-hmm. help give the bolster them give them confidence to yeah. come out who knows i think this is a story that needs to be heard mm. so thank you so much for coming on what we normally do at the end of a podcast episode is we have a fact of the day and they're normally completely irrelevant to anything that we've ever talked about but i found quite a relevant fact right, so i'm okay. going to share this fact of the day with you <laughs> So Jen, did you know that in medieval Arab world it was believed that a girl became a lesbian if she was nursed as a baby by someone who ate celery and rocket? Right. Okay.
1: <laughs> okay. My mum was always getting me to try and get me to eat celery. I couldn't stand it. Was she? Yeah, I hate celery.
0: Ah, you see, I love
1: celery. No, I don't think it's of that. the worst thing in the world. Celery. <laughs> Do you think she ate a lot of celery when she was? She loved celery. Yeah, she used to just eat sticks of celery. Just. there might be something in this there might be (laughs) something right well
0: thank you so so much for coming on the podcast I've really really enjoyed listening to your story and I'm sure everyone else has so Jen Sylvester thank you so much thank you